That was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found. 91 FM, the Otago Museum Breakfast Show. Right now on the line from Wellington, I'm joined by Professor James Renwick. Morena to you, James. Morena. How are we today? Pretty well, thanks. Marvellous, marvellous. You're the head of the School of Geography, um, Environment and Earth Sciences at the Victoria University Wellington, uh, giving a webinar today entitled uh, Climate Change, Climate Action and Links to Public Health in New Zealand. Um, You are going to be talking about the science of climate change um, and what we are doing to meet our Paris Agreement. Um, So first off, uh, we'll start with, I guess, the science. What is really showing us that this is not just part of the planet's cycle, that that the exacerbation of the issues are caused by us human beings? Okay, uh, well, there are two things that affect the global surface temperature, the global climate, and that's sunshine, you know, how bright the sun is, mm-hmm. and how much, how much greenhouse gas there is in the atmosphere, and... You know, this this is what controls the ice ages, and um, there are some cycles within the climate itself, like El Nino and so on. But those things can't actually change the total global average temperature. It can move heat around from one place to another, but it can't change the the total. But the total amount of heat in the climate system has been going up very steadily for as long as we've been measuring it. And the only thing that's detectable that's changed is the amount of greenhouse gas, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Yeah. And we know from the chemistry of the carbon dioxide that that's come from burning fossil fuels. So we know for sure that it's human activity yeah. that's causing that increase and that that's what's causing the, the warming climate. There's no question about that. So you can look at the particles of carbon in the atmosphere and say, well, that's not coming from Krakatoa. That's coming from something else. Yeah, it's not coming out of my mouth either. That's <laughs> quite right. Um, it's, it's fossil carbon. It's really it's interesting chemistry that, that there are radioactive isotopes of carbon that decay away over thousands of years, and those isotopes are disappearing because the carbon that's going up has been underground for millions of years, and all of that radioactive stuff has decayed away. So that's that's one of the main reasons we know where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess with that comes the mounting, and then you're going to start seeing maybe radioactive isotopes in methane to show that that's been underground for many years, but the permafrost is mounting away and releasing traps of that as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, permafrost and the methane is a bit of a different story. It, it comes and goes much more quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there would be similar kinds of signatures there because you've got a carbon atom in the middle of a a methane molecule. Um, so there are various, there's all sorts of chemical signatures that you can look at to tell not only, you know, was it fossil or was it not, or, or even whereabouts on the globe this um, methane or carbon's come from. So it's, it's, it's very neat stuff, this, uh, the chemistry behind all this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the amount of carbon that's up there now, you know, particles per million or, or, or whatever, whatever that is, I mean, are, are we past it? A safe point now. I mean, it's it mm. takes a while for that to dissipate, I guess, and, and we keep putting more in there, so that's you know not going to slow it down. But you know, are we past the point? You know, are we, are we keeping too much heat in now? Uh, is is there anything we can actually do to um, release that heat? 
Oh, great question. Uh, I'd say the short answer is no. Um, the way the Earth operates, carbon dioxide and so on, gone up and down hugely over millions and millions of years. Yeah. Uh, and we we've put as much carbon dioxide in the air over the last hundred years as might it might take a hundred thousand years for volcanic activity and so on to do. So we're pumping this stuff into the air at an amazing rate. The, the trouble is that especially carbon dioxide, the way the Earth controls that is through geological processes, you know, um, mountain building, rock weathering, volcanoes, and it takes thousands of years by natural processes to change. So the amount we've got on the atmosphere now, 410 parts per million or so, to get that back down to where it was a couple of hundred years ago, that would take about 10,000 years by natural processes. Yeah. And right now we don't have any other way of removing it. A lot of people are working on getting this stuff out of the air again, but right now uh, there's no way but just to wait. So we've already changed the climate at least a bit for thousands of years into the future. Um, and as far as a safe level goes, um, I don't know, that there's no magic number here. Just yeah. The more the climate warms up, the more things change, the harder it is for us to deal with. Um, but the Earth has been a lot warmer and a lot colder in the past, but we've got used to the climate we've had for the last few thousand years. It's been very stable um, since the end of the last ice age, basically. And we've just got used to growing crops where we do and, yeah. and having cities by the coast where we do. And now everything's changing again. The sea levels are rising where the rainfall is changing. And so we're going to have to change us where we grow food and so on. And the more warming, the more change and the more we have to do to cope with it. So the more expensive and the more disruptive it becomes. So the less, the sooner we can turn off the tap of carbon emissions, the better. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not us, just us that's grown accustomed to the climate. It's nature in itself, right? I mean, bees yeah. and birds and whatnot. So yeah. you're messing with their processes as well. And, and, and they're part of the natural cycle. And without them, we wouldn't have the things that we have. So yeah. if, you, if, you, you know, if you just look at bees, you know, as one of them, you know, we're having collapses all around the world. We don't know why, and that could be linked to climate as well. So there's dangers oh, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, we're part of the natural cycle, you know. There isn't, you hear people sometimes talk about us or the economy and the environment as two separate things. You know, this is not the case. No. We are part of the environment. If we stuff up the environment, we're stuffing things up for ourselves, for sure. Indeed. And yeah, like the loss of insects, bees and so on, that's partly climate change, but partly, you know, pesticide use and a whole mm -hmm. lot of things. And it's really worrying because insects provide a lot of the ecosystem services, so-called, that we rely on. If, if we kill off big chunks of the global ecosystem, it's going to bite us in the bum pretty quickly. So there's a lot of things out there to, to worry about, basically, uh, as well as climate change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all understand how plankton, plankton affects the oceans and, you know, in the cycle of the ocean, but somehow we don't look at our insects on land in the same way, which we should. Um, now, uh, Paris, what are the goals, and is it just tokenism? Well, good question. The Paris Agreement itself. Yeah. If if the countries of the world met it, no, it wouldn't be tokenism. It's talking about keeping global warming well below two degrees above pre-industrial. And presently we're running at about 1.1 degrees above pre-industrial. So we're sort of halfway to that two degree, 
top limit the Paris Agreement sets. But it also says that we would try as hard as we can to keep the warming to one and a half degrees, mm-hmm. which would be, you know, not much more warming than we've got at the moment. That would be great, uh, but as the, there's a report that came out last year saying, well, here's what we have to do if we're going to do this, and what we'd have to do is get globe, emissions globally reduced by half, down to 50% of present by 2030, roughly in the next 10 years, 10 or 11 years, and then get to zero by 2050. And this is what the zero carbon bill that the um, government have got on the table at the moment, that's what it aims to do. So if we could do that ourselves, and if every other country in the world could do that, then most likely we wouldn't see more than another half a degree of warming. And that would be great, because like I said before, the more warming, the more change, the more we have to deal with and the more expensive it is. So it's physically possible still, but, you know, global emissions have been growing and growing and growing for decades, and last year was a record high. Mm. Uh, To turn that around and get down to half within 10 years is a massive ask, and I I honestly don't know if it's possible. Um, I think we should try as hard as we can to get there, but uh, we'll just have to see how we go, I think. And, you know, if we don't stop at one and a half, it isn't like the world ends or anything. Um, There's never going to be a runaway point where it all blows up in our faces. It just gradually gets warmer and things change more and it costs more to deal with. You know, if we get two degrees of warming, that's better than getting three degrees, which will be better than getting four degrees, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not advocating not worrying about it, but we really need to try as hard as we can. But... If we stop at two instead of one and a half, well, you know, that's better than not having stopped at all. So as soon as we can reduce emissions, uh, we start to buy ourselves some time and and start to ease off on the rate of warming, basically. Yeah, I mean, the world isn't going to end, but you've got people in um, Kiribati and, and low-lying yeah. areas where, oh, yeah. I mean, their world does, you know, I mean, they don't die. Oh, but they could die easily, but... You know, um, the the world will change and people's lives will be destroyed and you'll have climate refugees and nations like ours will struggle as, as well. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be... It, big things are going to happen. Oh, yeah, and I'm not trying to minimise that at all. I mean, even now, with a little over one degree of warming and we've had about 25 centimetres of sea level rise, there are already places that are being affected especially, you know, some of the lower-lying Pacific Islands are having a lot more coastal inundation now than they used to, and, and salt water from the sea is sort of intruding into freshwater reservoirs underground, and so it's harder to get fresh water and all this kind of thing. And, yeah, that is going to increase in um, occurrence, and, you know, it's going to become more widespread over time. And, yeah, even with another half a degree or a degree of warming, yeah, there's all sorts of... Yeah. Consequences, you know, if we got a half a metre more sea level rise, which is the bottom of the range of expectations, you know, that's twice as much as we've had in the last 150 years. That would be, you know, that would make the one in a hundred year coastal flood an annual event in most yep. places. So it would really, you know, we have to be moving away from the coasts all over the world. It would be, that would be hugely disruptive. And, and it could be a lot more than that over the next century or more. And then you go into places you'll go inland but then you know you'll have massive glacial mounts and, and whatnot in the Himalayas and everything and then the, where's the fresh water going? 
you know we're, we're losing our you know ability the planet's ability to produce fresh water for us um well quickly we better move on to the public health effects because this is something that's not really talked about um but uh no no, no not very much at all but there's going to be massive shifts you know there could be massive shifts in pollen production um, you know, you're looking at uh, mosquitoes um, populations booming in countries like New Zealand, uh, and with that comes all the danger of of tropical disease, uh, which I guess would migrate its way south as well. Uh, yeah, exactly right. So that spread of disease vectors, you know, the idea that trop- more tropical diseases would start to migrate out to the latitudes of places like New Zealand, that's very much on the cards and we're already seeing some of that with um, things like West Nile virus in the US and so on. So that's one aspect. Then just the fact that it's warmer, so you get more hot days, that affects rates of asthma, um, it affects diabetes, heart disease, uh, heat stroke for people working outside. And it also, you know, in a hotter climate, food spoils more quickly, so the rates of um, food contamination and compilobacter and salmonella and so on, they go up. Um, you tend to get more toxic algal blooms and waterways. Mm, mm. Uh, flooding, so you get contamination of water supplies. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot of physical health issues. And, and a lot of, uh, I think, the Centers for Disease Control in the US recognise climate change as a public health ex- epidemic, basically. And, and one of the things that doesn't get talked about much at all, but probably one of the most important, is the mental health effects. Yeah. The whole idea of climate change, grief and stress. And, you know, as things become harder in some parts of the world, and, you know, we see more weather and climate-related disasters and so on, and migration, refugees, you know, it's going to be hard to take for a lot of people. And as yeah. our own environment changes, you know, our sense of, our place and who we are as a people, you know, that changes as well. So I think it's going to take a lot of uh, sort of coming to terms with, basically, for uh, most of the global population. So there's a lot of big issues there. Well, you're seeing it now already, um, levels of anxiety in the populace. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I've read of people who are choosing not to have any children because they worry that they'd be bringing kids into a world that would be unmanageable and so on. I mean, I'm, I'm not advocating that but but you know it's obviously the way some people are thinking already and again that's only going to get uh more severe i think over time do you think the biggest battle in climate change is public opinion is you know because you have um people people are really good at pulling the wool over the eyes you know you, you see you know we talked about earlier how the the climate shifts over centuries oh millennia millennia and we can see mm-hmm. that and then people say oh this is just one of those shifts you know that, that, that's one of the the tools um that the uh, the skeptics use uh, and they have many tools and, and they're really good at convincing people you know they're telling they're saying that people like yourself are politicizing it you know politicizing climate change and you've got an agenda uh, and people believe that. Yeah, they do, don't they? And and I think it's a really attractive message. I mean, I would like to think that... I would like it if climate change was a hoax, it wasn't real, I could actually relax about the future. Yeah. That would be fantastic, <laughs> you know, and my family could not worry about it. Great. And so anyone who says that, you know, it's a very seductive kind of message. We want to believe those things. Um, so, so we tend to, and, and you know... 
if you don't know much about the science, then um, you would be inclined to go along with it. And there's actually been a very well-documented um, history of fossil fuel companies, oil companies, spending big dollars on trying to confuse people, yeah. on putting up so-called experts and creating so-called grassroots organisations that are pushing for, you know, playing down the dangers and carrying on with oil drilling and all the rest of it. And that's been really effective. And it's, it's ongoing, you know. Oil companies are still spending millions of dollars a year trying to argue against action on climate change because it's really profitable to drill for oil and, and uh, burn it. That's right. It's becoming pretty indefensible morally these days. So it's amazing to me that there are still companies out there who are putting the profits ahead of, of the planet, basically. And a few scientists that are doing the same thing. <laughs> just yeah, a few. Some, just yeah. a few. Just a few. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they're uh, the ones with the political agenda, I'd say, not yeah. the actual scientists. That's right, that's right. Um, you know, it, it's, money is all corrupting. It, it's disgusting. Um, but, but, that, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but that's the thing, you know. I mean, people, you know, you've got 99% of, of scientists, you know, 99.9% .9 of scientists saying this is real, this is a thing. But so many people um, are listening to the 0.1% uh, and so many uh, people at the top even though they probably know it's true, you've got keep, you know people coming to New Zealand having their bunk holes and stuff like that. They're still pushing that message out because they're getting massive profits. Absolutely, yeah, and it's it's, it's really curious that I mean, there's a whole lot of things tied up in that. I suppose you know, it's human nature, human psychology. There's a natural sort of to want to listen to experts, you know, like many people who know about the science, and they'd like to get one over on the expert by finding someone who's just hooked it up on the internet and oh, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but it's, it's curious, isn't it? I mean, it's the, I've heard the analogy, you go to the airport and um, at check-in, they say, well, we've had 99 engineers look at the plane you're getting on and 99 of them say that it's gonna, the wings are going to fall off and it's going to crash before you get to where you're going. Oh, but we did find this one guy just walking through the airport who looked at it and said, oh, no, it's fine, don't worry. Would you still get on that plane? Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, he was paid by the airline. <laughs> exactly, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that kind of situation, you know. We, we want to have an easy life. We want to not have to worry about it and deal with it. So we are very much taken in by those messages. And the people who make those statements, you know, they get a lot of press. And most scientists are busy doing the science and don't actually get out there and talk about the, the real story. Yeah. So it appears as though there's just as many people arguing against climate change as for it, but it's, it's yeah, it's a hundred to one or a thousand to one, probably more like it. Yeah, I think you need to hire a good PR company. Well, yeah, and, and there's been a few moves in that direction. <laughs> but generally, yeah, the science community is not, you know, they're trying to do science, not to do public communication. Yeah, well, you're doing some today. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, um, at 12.30 through to uh, 1.15. Um, you can go to www.otago... Uh, just go to the Otago University events page, which you can find online. Just type Otago Uni events, and then you'll be able to find um, the link uh, to your event and follow the links uh, to the webinar, uh, which starts at 12.30. Um, Professor James Renwick, thank you so much. 
Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, Great chat. Bring brilliant. Um, have yourself a wonderful day, and we look forward to uh, watching you online. Okay, thanks very much. <laughs> All right, cheers, James. See you later. All right, as I said before, webinar today with Professor James Redwick, head of the School of Ge- um, Geography, Environment and Earth Sciences at Victoria University, Wellington. Tune in, 12.30. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.